Well, good morning, church. It's good to see y'all this morning. And uh, children and youth, good to see y'all as well. We had a great time at River Bend, as you've seen and heard, and uh, grateful to God for the time we had there. Well, you know by now, if you have been with us at all, that our theme for 2022 at First Baptist Arlington is re dot, dot, dot. And we are exploring our biblical and theological vocabulary of words that begin with that prefix re. And for the summer, our theme is recreate. And we are engaged in a study of Ecclesiastes. I'll repeat something I said to you last week because to me this summarizes the perspective of the writer of Ecclesiastes. And that is, it is paradise lost. That is really what he records for us. There are Edenic echoes. In other words, the Garden of Eden, we can still hear the echoes abound in creation, but, but the fallen nature of it all drowns them out with discordant tones of what I would just call brokenness. I don't know if you remember where you were May 10th, 1965. Uh, some of you would say nowhere, right? Well, on May 10th, 1965, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were in a studio in Chicago with their band, the Rolling Stones, and they were recording for the very first time, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That would be their first number one hit in America, their first gold record in America, and it would become one of the greatest and most popular rock and roll songs of all time. The bottom line message of I can't get no satisfaction is I remain unsatisfied. And then I don't know if you're familiar with Jeffrey Mack or not. He is a, an Australian uh, songwriter but he wrote a song that Johnny Cash made famous. I've been everywhere, man. Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Baron Killer, Ampadilla, I'm a killer. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> okay, okay. I practiced a little bit. Okay, I'll get it. But I would say this long before Johnny Cash and Mick Jagger and uh, Keith Richards, you have Koholeth in Hebrew, the preacher, the one who left us this journal that we call Ecclesiastes. And so I want to point your attention this morning to the second page of Ecclesiastes. Here's the original text of I can't get no satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 2, let's hear what he says. I said to myself, I, I love that, y'all. I say a lot of stuff to myself. I'm glad it's in the Bible, aren't you? I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But also, proved to be, that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. 
I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built great houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Once again, what a message from the preacher, the Koholeth. Do y'all remember, some of you were here last Sunday morning and I shared an image for you for the book of Ecclesiastes. And the image is that he's the tour guide and he's invited us to his bus and we are going to ride with him on this tour. Do y'all remember that? And some of us are going to want to get off before the tour is over, but he's not going to let us. He's going to take us down many different paths and roads. Well, this morning, here's what I want to do before we hear from that preacher. Let's hear a word from this preacher and let me take over the bus tour for just a minute and let me take the Koholeth on a tour of my world. And that's what I like to do this morning. Let me guide you on a tour of my culture, of what my people are thinking about. Let, let me take you down a road in America. And let's just think about what has captivated our attention over the last few weeks in our society. I'll begin with the trial. Maybe you kept up with it in Fairfax, Virginia. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Do you know that Johnny Depp, his work, his movies, and all that he's been invested in has grossed over $8.7 billion. Johnny Depp is worth somewhere north of $210 million personally, according to Forbes magazine. And he met a girl named Amber Heard, and he said she was his perfect match. I'm paraphrasing. They had so much in common, they fell deeply in love, and they proved it because they got married and stayed married a whole year. <laughs> Turned out to be a very expensive year for Amber because she wrote an article about her relationship with Johnny, accused him of physical and emotional abuse, and so he sued her for defamation and won. As a matter of fact, just this last week or so, $15 million was awarded to him by a jury. Two million, interestingly enough, was awarded to her by the jury. Here's what Johnny Depp said, though, about what happened to him during that year and after what she said about him. He said, quote, I lost nothing less than everything. He said, 
her accusations, and I quote, controlled every waking second, end quote, of my life. And that trial chronicles their alcohol and drug use and volatile arguments. Let me take you down another road. This week in our country, the January 6th commission held its first public hearing to assess what took place when our capital was assaulted January 6th of 2020. The first public hearing wasn't just held this week, it was held on national television in prime time. And some 20 million Americans tuned in. And we were introduced to what they tell us is going to be a months long saga. Also in America, somewhere, someone decides what every month is going to feature. So this month is Gay Pride Month. And you've seen all the promotion about it, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, these different months have been assigned different emphases in my society. This one is Gay Pride Month. We also have had to watch the tragedy of the Ukraine war, where this major superpower, Russia, seemingly just to exercise its muscles, has invaded a separate sovereign nation and unleashed untold suffering. Thousands of people have died. Millions of people have been physically displaced and the social disruption will probably affect multiple generations. And then in our own state, we have to take this tour, the tragedy in Uvalde, where a seemingly depressed young man celebrated his 18th birthday by using $6,000 and purchasing automatic rifles, a cache of ammunition, and then made his way to Robb Elementary and engaged in this senseless killing spree and forever changing the landscape of that community. We also have been discussing the whole topic of inflation in America. In May, inflation rose to 8.6%. We have seen all kinds of prices in our society skyrocket. Our money doesn't go as far as it once did. There are even accusations that there is inflated inflation that has to do with the supply change or and challenges rather in the pandemic after effects. And then our attention also has been turned to sports. There's the Live Golf Tour now, L-I-V, which is Roman numeral 54. It's a 54 hole um, golf tournament that is sponsored by an entity backed completely by the government of Saudi Arabia. Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson are the two preeminent golfers who've chosen to join this tour. Just those two guys alone received $325 million before they ever tee up the first shot, just, just to agree to play over these next few years, they'll receive that money in due time. Meanwhile, here at home, the 
PGA Tour has suspended all of these players that have chosen to participate in a, in a tour that is funded by the Saudi Arabian government, which, needless to say, has somewhat of a checkered past with regard to human rights. And then all eyes are on the Supreme Court right now. We are awaiting some decisions anxiously, potentially a, a landmark decision that some people think is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so people are already amassing in America to either protest or celebrate. I dare say that if the Coho left, if this preacher from Ecclesiastes just took that tour with us, he would not be surprised at all. Because he understood the challenges of the human condition and the experiences that human beings face and the limitations that those experiences offer all of us. In fact, he learned himself and he records it for us in his journal. Personal ambition, pride, the pursuit of pure pleasure, the abuse of alcohol or substances, the, the search for identity in the wrong places, the expression of sexuality as the ultimate meaning of humanity, a true desire to discover purpose. He would recognize all of those as human experiences that are as old as humanity. So here's what I want us to do. Let's go back to the tour and let's ask this tour guide to take over again with one eye on our own world. Here's the question I would ask this this morning. Where do people search for meaning and satisfaction? If you were to ask a typical American, how do you find ultimate meaning? What do you think the typical American would say? If you were to ask a typical American, typical American, point me down a path that if I travel that path, I'm going to find out what life is really all about and I'm going to experience a purposeful, meaningful experience. That's what this guy does. So let me, just, let me just walk you through it real quickly. If you still have your Bible open, look back, at, look back at Ecclesiastes 2. Here's what he says. He says, come now, I'm going to test you with pleasure. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say I'm going to test pleasure. He says, I'm going to test you. I said to myself, I'm going to test you with pleasure. And we're going to find out what is good. Look at verse 3. I want to see... What was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives? Now, Zach Eswine, who's written a commentary called uh, Recovering Eden on Ecclesiastes, he says, the prodigal son and the co'olef have a lot in common. They have a parallel path, but completely different purposes. The prodigal son decides to go pursue pleasure and just consume pleasure, and the prodigal son does it all on a whim. It's just a season of unbridled benders. He just wastes his inheritance. He acts like all these pleasures are his rights, and so he just claims them all. He spends everything on a whim. He exhausts everything. That's the story of the prodigal son. That's not the story of Coalith. I want you to notice that that's not what the preacher does. Look at verse 3. He says in verse three, I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, but notice this comment. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. This is not a bender. 
This is not on a whim. This is intentional. He said, I, I kept my wits about me. I decided to explore all of this. Look at verse nine. In all of this, he says, my wisdom stayed with me. I, ne- I never lost it. So this is an intentional investigative journey and he is trying to decide where do you find real meaning. So if we're on this bus, here's our tour guide, here's what he's saying. Okay, y'all, y'all wanna find real meaning? I mean, you really want your life to count? Do you wanna be able to say at some point in your life, man, I am really living? How do you get there? Which road do we need to take on this tour so that I can show you how to really live? He says, well, let let me show you what I found. And then he just outlines it for us. Y'all can just walk through this text. Humor, he says, "I, I checked it out. Alcohol, I checked it out. Artistic expression, music, I hired singers, he checked it out. Nature, and had all these parks and beautiful trees. Accomplishment, there was nobody who accomplished more than me. I worked hard, I built these great projects. Money, I had more money than you could ever imagine, more money you could ever need. Accumulated possessions, and in, in fact, I had so much, it was just overflowing. Sex, he said, I had a harem. I, I denied my eyes nothing. I had all the women that I wanted. I lived this life. Famous, there was nobody like me in Jerusalem. Okay, so he says, let me, let me take, which road you wanna go down? Which, which one you think is going to give you ultimate pleasure? Which, which one of these is gonna provide for you ultimate significance? Let me show you what I learned. I went down all of them. I didn't stop at any of them. Here's his conclusion. After I had done it all, verse 11, meaningless. He said, you know what it's like? Chasing the wind. In other words, what he's telling us is, y'all, is every generation of humanity only has so many options. There are only so many things you can do to try to find fulfillment. This pretty much sums it up. You can take just about everything human beings have tried to do to find fulfillment and put it in one of these categories. And history is literally strewn with person after person after person who has said this, if I can just get that, if if, if I can just have that, then man, I'll be really living. But what he discovered was, is that all these very familiar paths are limited. Zach Eswine says it's almost like if you can imagine having a, a game closet at your house and you open the closet and there they all are. They're all the game. They're fun. You get a lot of pleasure from them, but it's all you got. So, man, when you first start, it's great. It's exciting. Yeah, I already played that game. Yeah, I've already played that. Yeah, I played that one. It's kind of like when you're playing that, that really hard, complex video game, and it's got like 12 levels, and you get the 12th level, and you accomplish it. Then somebody says, hey, you want to go back and play it again? No, why? I got to move on to the next thing. In other words, what Koholeth is telling us, y'all, is this. Here are all these options, and yes, they're, they're pleasurable. Absolutely, they'll bring something to your life, but if you think they're any one of them or all of them together is going to add up to meaning and significance, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to discover the same thing I discovered. It's empty. There's always something on the other side of it. So here's the real question this morning, y'all. 
Can anything in this world truly satisfy a human being? That's the real question. Can anything in this world truly satisfy a human being? Raw power? Is that, is that it? Once Putin conquers Ukraine, let's say he does. Well, then what? what? What's next? Do you just continue the march? Is it, is, is, is it just in authority? Is it, is it in governmental power? I mean, is it, is it the government that where we find ultimate meaning? President? Even if you're a part of a court called Supreme, is that gonna, I mean, is that really gonna meet your deepest need that you have? And in my culture, the incredible infatuation with sexual identity and sexual expression, as complex as that is, is that really the ultimate question of a human being? Why is it that those in the homosexual community and in the heterosexual community, why are there people in both of those groups that somehow think that expressing their sexuality is going to answer their deepest need? What about accumulation? Is it, is it, is it gathering? Well, how much do you have to gather before you're really living? And how much, how famous do you need to be? How, how, much, how much accolade needs to come your way until finally everybody realizes that's it. That's what we're after. Here's what's fascinating to me, y'all. You can take all the beauty, all the creativity, all the imagination, all the accomplishment, all the betterment of life, all the pleasures that are available, and here's what you'll discover. In the human condition, there's a dark side to it. Because if you're not careful, the pursuit of any one of these can become the thing. And it becomes your thing. And unfortunately, the day is going to come when you're going to leave that thing behind and somebody else gets it. And then what they do with it can be really challenging. As good as you might think it is. Human beings have a way of corrupting what is good. Human beings have a way of taking accomplishments and twisting them. And it creates just this sense of, can I... Can I find in this world, under the sun, anything that truly satisfies a human being? Y'all know the story of Alfred Nobel, I'm sure. He died in 1896, turn of the 20th century. Alfred Nobel was a brilliant Swedish chemist. His, his dad owned a business, and so he inherited the family business, he and his brothers. But Alfred Nobel was brilliant. He distinguished himself among his brothers. He took the family business Beaufort's, which was an iron and steel manufacturing company, and just grew it exponentially. He, before he died, he registered 355 patents. He's one of the most prolific scientists, engineers, chemists, inventors in the history of humanity. Truly shaped that part of history. In fact, Alfred Nobel is most famous for one of his inventions, because his company, Bofors, supplied armament for the Swedish army. One of the challenges that they faced in those days was the use of nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin was incredibly 
um, explosive, but very volatile. And so there were people who died handling nitroglycerin. Alfred Nobel went to work in his lab and he came up with a solution. He actually found a compound where he could actually keep the explosive nature of nitroglycerin and make it less volatile and useful. He wasn't sure what to name it. He started to call it after himself, just Alfred Nobel. But he finally came up with another name. He was fluent in six languages. He could actually read the New Testament in Greek. And so he found a word in the Greek New Testament, dunamis, power. That's what that word means. And that's the name he gave his new compound. He anglicized it and it became known as dynamite. And dynamite became an incredible seller. It was used by mining companies, bridge builders, transportation companies. Governments began to purchase it from him. And his wealth grew astronomically. However, there was still a problem with dynamite. It was still incredibly volatile. And so he kept working in his lab and he ended up inventing galignite and ballastite, both of them more explosive but much more manageable. He invented the blasting caps so that they could be utilized but guess who got a hold of Alfred Nobel's imagination and his incredible creativity? Governments who chose to use it for war, not to build better roads, not for mining, but for raw power. 1888, his brother Ludwig died, but the rumor spread that he had died. And he was one of the most famous people in Europe. And so his death was reported in all the major newspapers and news outlets all over Europe. And so one morning he was reading his own obituary. You know, you don't get to do that very often, but he did. And here's the line that stung him. It was written by a Parisian journalist who said, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich, by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever, died yesterday. That one line, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever. So he made a decision right then and there, I'm gonna to try to change that. And so much to his family's surprise, at his death, they discovered in his will that he left his entire estate to a trust. Not to his family, but to a trust, over a billion dollars. And here were the instructions he gave. Each year, this particular group, the commission that oversees this trust, you're gonna hand out several awards, one for accomplishments in science, chemistry, and medicine, but the most famous one. He said, the most famous one and the most important one I want you to reserve for the one person in the entire world who has been instrumental in the cause of peace give them the biggest award. And so consequently today, most people remember Alfred Nobel for his Nobel Peace Prize, not his invention of these explosive compounds that were placed in the hands of people who used them to the detriment of others. It's fascinating to me. The point that I'm trying to make this morning, y'all, is this. This world can offer you some real pleasure, yes, that this world can offer you some incredible experiences. Yes, but this world is limited in how it can meet your deepest need. In fact, I would say there is nothing in this world 
that can answer the deepest longing of a human being. You've got to look somewhere else. And we look for it. We're like Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. I mean, we go down every one of these roads. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. Maybe we'll find it here. Our bus driver's just watching us, and he's going, yeah, I tried that one. Yep, I went down that road. Yeah, already been down that road. Yeah, I know where that one takes you. And you know what, y'all? It's always limited. So I'll close with this, what I shared with you last Sunday. There is someone wiser than Solomon. Praise God. Matthew 12, verse 42, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said to the Pharisees, there's someone wiser than Solomon right here. It's Jesus. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, hey, hey, y'all, still thirsty? I've been watching you. You, 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 go to, you go to that fountain and you drink. You go to that fountain and drink a little bit. You go to that one and drink. You're still thirsty? I tell you what, if you're still thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you something to drink. And the water I give you to drink, you'll never be thirsty again. Not like that. As a matter of fact, the water I give you, it's going to be like a well inside of you, and it'll spring up, and it'll meet your thirst for the rest of your life is what Jesus. Jesus said, you scared of dying? Guess what? I've got an answer for you. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you'll believe in me, you'll live. Even when you die, you'll live. Jesus said, I tell you what, quit putting all your time and your energy solely on this world. As a matter of fact, let me encourage you and show you how to invest yourself in the next world so you have treasures when you get there because you're going to live there a whole lot longer than you're going to live here. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus offers us something different. Can we find joy and all those kinds of things on this earth? Of course we can. But I am here to tell you, I agree with the testimony of the Koholeth. This world's limited in what it'll offer you. And if you need to experience that yourself, that's what you'll discover. It becomes like chasing the wind. But if you'll turn your attention to what God can offer you, it'll put all the rest of this in perspective. And it'll bring you the right kind of pleasure and the right kind of joy and fulfillment because your deepest needs already been met. Praise his name. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for how you've worked in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus and for the fact that knowing Jesus really brings our deepest joy and fulfillment in life. And for those within the sound of my voice today who need to know that, I pray they'll discover that, Lord, and they'll find that deepest longing in their souls met in him. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen.